Today, I want to share uh, some reflections on thoughts. Um, I'm not in the habit of quoting Roman emperors, but I like the way this is framed by Marcus Aurelius. Such as are your habitual thoughts, such also will be the character of your mind. For the soul is dyed by the thoughts. And of course, the Buddhists said things, many things about thoughts that have a similar sound to them. Of course, we would translate a little bit for early Buddhism. We wouldn't call it the soul, but I think we could call it the chitta. And uh, because we don't want to give that wrong impression that there is some everlasting ongoing me. Um, but the mind being died by the thoughts, uh, you know, in sutta study, we've been talking about that simile of dying cloth, the stains and the cloth cause it to not be dyed well. And then if you have those stains washed out, it's the dye takes well and is pure and beautiful. And to think about the mind being dyed or tainted, colored by the thoughts. And this idea that those thoughts that we think frequently, habitually, that that causes, um, that that is part of the development of our character. So an important reflection is, you know, what is that for you, for each of us? What are the habitual thoughts? What is the way in which I think that carves deeper grooves in the mind because I do it so often? And I often think about thoughts. It's really, we're creating sankara. We think about Sankara, it's like under the ocean. I don't know if you've ever done any diving, but when on the ocean floor, you can see the ridges in the sand that follow the way the currents go. And you know, when when we, or you might just think of ruts in the ground. You know, if you drive a a wagon over the same area again and again. Like, the ruts in the ground become deeper and the, the dirt becomes more and more hard. The ridges become very firm almost. If you go back to the ocean metaphor, it's like coral reefs, you know, it's like the, this is the way I see Sankara developing in the mind. You know, we go down those same tracks with, with habitual thoughts. And it's good to, to look at it. What do, what do I, you know, what is my tendency? Is it worry? Is it, um, you know, thoughts about the regrets about the past or negative thoughts about other people, judgmental thoughts, criticisms, complaints, um, or is it, it, are these the kinds of thoughts like really um, reflecting on what's good and wholesome, kind, generous? 
And of course, we all do some of all of it, right? But then to start to notice what are the habit patterns. And the Buddha talked about these things in various ways. And I'm sure you know, in the beginning of the Dhammapada, he talks about how the mind is, is kind of the leader. You know, if we, if we think um, negative thoughts, then suffering follows. He talked about, especially if we, if we think about how people have done us wrong, um, negative thoughts follow. If we, if we turn our attention to away from that, you don't even have to go towards the, the positive side, but just away from that, then, uh, then we can let it go. And it, it actually has an effect on our character. So I was I want to make a reference to a few different places where the Buddha talks about. Well, he talks about wholesome and unwholesome thoughts. And this is really all under what we would call right intention, the second factor of the Noble Eightfold Path, which can also be translated as as right thought. And the Buddha uses usually uses the the three unwholesome and wholesome things like thoughts of sensual desire, ill will, and harming as the unwholesome ones. And renunciation and goodwill. And well he just says non non um, non-ill will and non-harming or non-cruelty as the positive side, which I always like that non of uh, putting an A in front of the poly word to get the opposite. It has more scope, I think. If you say not ill will, it's different from goodwill. It actually has more scope. It can include goodwill and everything else that isn't ill will. So it's just pointing out the danger and the negative. And then asking ourselves, how do we handle those when they come up? Because we all have them. We're living human life. We're not arahants yet. There's a sutta in the, um, the numerical discourses, the Anguttara Nikaya, where the Buddha, it's called walking. It's in the book of fours, number 11. He said, when, if you have a sensual thought, a thought of ill will or a thought of harming arising in the mind while walking, if you tolerate it, you don't abandon it, you don't dispel it or terminate it or obliterate it, some pretty strong language, you know, then that person is said to be devoid of ardor and moral dread you know, it's, uh, we're too lax and we're not concerned enough about the future of our, of our mind and our actions. This person is constantly and continuously lazy and lacking in energy. And then he says the same thing about the other postures. If you're standing, sitting, or lying down, um, he qualifies the lying down wakefully 
It's not while you're sleeping, but when you're lying down wakefully, tolerating such thoughts um, is, is, not, is not really acceptable. But if we don't tolerate them, these thoughts arise in any of these postures. If we abandon them, dispel them, terminate them, obliterate them, then this person can be thought of as ardent and one who dreads wrongdoing, doesn't want to do wrong, one who's constantly and continuously energetic and resolute. So when the Buddha talks about energy and being resolute, he's not just talking about meditating. He's talking about training the mind, helping the mind develop good character, helping with right at the level of thought. There's another sutta in the Book of Fives, number 200, that he call, that's called Escape. And he says there are these five elements of escape. When you're attending to sensual pleasures, so you're thinking about sensual pleasures, and the mind does not launch out upon them and become placid, settled, and focused on them. So you don't want the mind to be really like thinking about these central pleasures. He says that this person's mind is well-developed, well-emerged, well-liberated, well-detached from central pleasures. It's like the thought comes up and and you turn to something else. You don't pursue it. The same with ill will, the same with harming, and the same with thoughts about form, he says. The mind does not launch out upon it and become settled and focused on it. When you're attending to the formless, the mind launches out upon it and focuses on it. And he says that about the, about the others too, like with sensual pleasures, they said, um, you're freed from those taints, distressful and feverish that arise with sensual pleasures. That's the escape from sensual pleasures. And with this idea of, of putting your mind on the formless, the mind launches out upon it and, and becomes settled on that. And then you're well-developed, well-emerged, well-liberated and detached from form, freed from those taints. And the final one is he talks about personal existence. If you're Attending to personal existence, the mind does not launch out upon it and become focused on it. 
but attending to the cessation of personal existence, the mind launches out upon that and becomes focused on it. And that's the escape from personal existence. So this is kind of the Buddha's hints at how to work with the thoughts that arise. First of all, noticing, you know, how, what does this create over the long term? How does this affect my character? Someone recently asked me if I could talk about how to um, stop being grumpy or stop being irritable. And it's, it's uh, you know, understanding that when, when these mental states arise, it's because there's something um, that isn't the way we want it to be. We want things to be different than they are. And, you know, even though we read in the suttas, well, you just abandon it. <laughs> it's not always how it works. Uh, but we can find other clues from the Buddha. Mm. That, that idea of form. I think, I think it's thinking about your body. Uh, it was in the chat. It's a question. Could I say more about that idea of form? Thinking about the body as me and mine. You know, really being focused on it. As we get older, I think it's even, well, maybe any time in life, the focus changes from, you know, like uh, how you look to how you feel physically. Am I okay? Because um, a lot of times we're not okay. <laughs> and, then, and then to turn the mind away from that, to not be so caught up in that. You know, recognizing when we, when we launch in the way the translation, you launch out upon it, you, the mind thinks something and then it grabs hold of it. And just to be aware, what kind of thing are we grabbing hold of? Can we turn the mind to something else? Can we investigate the Dhamma around it? So let's say we get irritable about things and then, you know, looking more deeply into what is it? The most striking example in my own life was when my mom started to um, get more dementia. And at first, there's a tendency to try to explain things more, remind the person, no, don't you remember you said this? Or this is how it, you know. And it took me a, a while to realize that she couldn't remember it wasn't a matter of just kind of trying to help her shape up, you know, it's like, oh, okay, this is a time for patience and kindness. But the irritability came from, I didn't want it to be like that. I didn't want my mom to be like that. I want her to be my mom, you know, the one that I knew forever took care of everything, <laughs> you know, that one. <laughs> and, and it's, it's like this in life. We want things to be different because this is samsara and there's a lot to bear. 
and the practice of bearing it, being with it, and bringing more kindness and patience to it actually develops our character, as you well know, as opposed to letting the irritation and the um, grumpiness and the disappointment develop our character. There's a lovely simile also in the numerical discourses, and you may have heard it before because it is so lovely. And this one is in the Book of Threes. It's number 132 in Bhikkhu version. It's a line etched in stone is the name of it. And it says, there are three kinds of people found existing in the world. The person who's like a line etched in stone, the person who's like a line etched in the ground, and the person who's like a line etched in water. The person who's like a line etched in stone is someone who often gets angry and their anger persists for a long time, just like a line etched in stone is not quickly erased by the wind and water, but persists for a long time. So too, some person who often gets angry and their anger persists for a long time is like a person, is a person that's like a line etched in stone. And then you have the kind of person who's like a line etched in the ground. That person often gets angry, but their anger doesn't last a long time. Just like a line etched in the ground is quickly erased by the wind and water and doesn't persist for a long time, so too this person who often gets angry, but it doesn't last, is like a line etched in the ground. And what kind of person is like a line etched in water? This is someone, even when spoken to roughly and harshly, in disagreeable ways, remains on friendly terms with whoever that's coming from, mingles with them, so, you know, still engages with them and greets them. Just as a line etched in water quickly disappears and does not persist for a long time, so too this person, even spoken to in rough and harsh ways, disagreeable ways, remains friendly. They're like a person, this person is like one who's, who is a line etched in water. I remember Ajahn Jayasaro talking about using this as a meditation where you can really think about words, the words that have been said that hurt or make us upset. And we can imagine them, you know, we can see them etched etched in the block or written in the sand on the beach or what if they're just floating on the water and he said he was meditating on this and he just saw the words break up and float away um so we can use these these devices to help the mind And probably one of the most important aspects of this is to recognize that it matters. 
in the long term, whether or not we harbor and often reflect upon the negative and then, and then of course act upon it, it creates our future, it develops our character. And, and then that becomes part of that package that we kind of send to ourselves in the next life. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like we, we really don't want to open that package <laughs> unless we've really taken some care with it. And, um, and are sending and sending the things that are wholesome and supportive. I think that might have covered it. Oh, maybe I'll just share one more little thing. This is from the Sangyuta Nikaya. Um, it's in the in the first book, the one with all the devas, and the if you ever wonder about devas, devas, the first book of the Sangyuta Nikaya is is uh, gives lots of examples of interactions with devas. So in this case, there was a monk who was um, he had gone to meditate. And he kept thinking unwholesome thoughts about sensuality, ill will, and harming. And this deva that was inhabiting that, that area, that woodland thicket, having compassion for that monk, desiring his good, desiring to stir up a sense of urgency in him, approached him and he addressed them with these verses. Because of attending carelessly, you, sir, are eaten by your thoughts. Isn't that a beautiful way to think of it? <laughs> Having relinquished the careless way, you should reflect carefully. By basing your thoughts on the teacher, said the Buddha, on the Dhamma and the Sangha and your own virtues, you will surely attain gladness and and rapture, all PT, and happiness as well. And when you are suffused with gladness, you'll make an end to suffering. And that bhikkhu was stirred up by that deva and acquired a sense of urgency. So see if you can call on your personal devas. <laughs> whatever aids there might be to help remind us um, maintaining an attitude of negativity is going to do nothing but eat us so that was my um, just offer that for your reflection this morning Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.